Welcome to Adulting, the podcast where we want to adult every day. Download episodes at adulting.tv. Welcome to Adulting, live. I'm Harlan, and Miranda will uh, likely be joining us later, and we're, we're, we'll both be here with Stephanie O'Connell. Stephanie O'Connell's here. We're going to be talking about um, doing what you love and earning money. So it's kind of an interesting combination here. Some people make this work, other people don't. And what I want to do right now is ask Stephanie, could you introduce yourself a little bit and just tell us a little, a little about yourself? Hi, everybody. I am Stephanie O'Connell. I write about millennial money at stephanieoconnell.com. But before that, I majored in acting. And I guess I'll dive into my story here. I graduated in 2008 with a degree in drama, which was really a horrible set of circumstances. Not a great time to be pursuing your passion in the middle of a recession. Um, so I learned some really interesting lessons through my you know, passionate pursuit of wanting to be an actor during this time of financial crisis. And, you know, that I think the lessons I learned, anybody who tries to be creative, anyone who wants to be an artist, anyone following their heart probably has experienced at some point. But I think because it was the thick of the financial crisis, everything was a little bit heightened. So I had this really fabulous job out of college. I was on the international tour of the musical Cinderella in Asia. So I spent like seven months of 2008, like basically living my dream life. I was getting paid to perform. I was traveling the world. I didn't make a lot of money, but I got a per diem. So all of my costs were covered. Um, and then like in the middle of it, the producers fly out and they're like, oh, just kidding. You know, the world economy collapsed, so we're sending you all home. And so January 2009, fast forward, young unemployed actress in New York City, and, like, the reality starts to set in of the fact that, like, oh, my gosh, I just worked for seven months, and I didn't spend a penny of my salary, but because I only made $450 a week, this is how much I have. Um, and it wasn't anything to scoff at, but it also wasn't, like, you know, this is all seven months buys you, and I w didn't even have to pay rent during that time. So there were all these like little moments of reality checks happening. And that was like in the best of circumstances when I was working, when I had this unbelievable job, um, when, when things like were basically all taken care of. Fast forward to like what it's really like to be an actor, and most of the time you're looking for work and then like hustling to pay the bills. So you're auditioning all day, you don't get paid for any of that time, and then you're like, okay, well, I still have to make rent. And then you get a job offer, and then it's like $225 a week. And you're like, wait a minute, I made more money as a babysitter. So it was like, I constantly found myself in this cycle of like doing what I loved and having these wonderfully artistic highs, but then these real reality checks and these moment of pause that were like, wait a minute, this doesn't add up. And to do this, this is what I have to sacrifice. And I kind of hated it. Like, I hated that doing what I love wasn't the same as having a lifestyle I loved. And that's a really important distinction 
that I don't think a lot of people realize. I think what happens is people do what they love and like that's first and foremost. And like you, they, they think, you know, like I'm a starving artist or I'm whatever and I'm just going to sacrifice everything in pursuit of this thing because that's what makes me like a true artist or a true whatever. And I just think that's, that's not true. Like it, you are allowed to have things that you love outside of your work and you should. Because like, if you don't and you wind up in this cycle of unsustainability, either because you're not making enough money or because you're not given enough flexibility of time or whatever it is, you're not giving enough consideration to those other values in your life, like your family, like your friends, like that stuff matters. And to diminish that by saying only this one, one tiny aspect of my life matters is kind of like a recipe for being unhappy. And that's why I think with, I find a lot of people, like in, in my circles, they're like, well, if I just got one Broadway show, then I would leave the business. And I'm like, leave the business now. That is not pursuing your passion. That's avoiding failure, you know? And, mm-hmm. and like, you know, people find themselves in these cycles where they're really unhappy. It's not sustainable financially. It's not sustainable emotionally. But because there's this idea that if I give up before hitting this milestone, I will have failed, they hang on to it. And it makes them more and more and more unhappy. So I think that's really important to distinguish between doing what you love and having a lifestyle you love and really focusing on lifestyle because that encompasses what you do and your relationships and the money you make and everything else. Yeah, it's a really interesting perspective. You did something that you love. A lot of people will pursue what they love to, you know, and, and, you know, as you said, avoiding failure, they'll continue doing this, even though it turns out that what they thought they loved by pursuing it to no end and not, not getting the lifestyle they want, they end up not, they, they, they end up not loving the thing that they loved to begin with. And that yeah. seems it, it'll get them away from, from, you know, enjoying the, you know, a, a lot of this has to do with creative pursuits because that's that's the one thing that tends to be really difficult, but a lot of people love doing it, especially creative people. Uh, you know, I I also, um, you know, I, I was involved in theater when I was young, but, but music was really what I was interested in, and I wanted to get into teaching music, and uh, I eventually kind of moved in a different direction from that, got involved in... Uh, performing ensembles, uh, marching bands, drums and bugle corps, that sort of thing. And I, I did it and I was able to have that as a job, but it was, it was a struggle just like, just like you had, Stephanie. Uh, it was a struggle because the money that I was earning wasn't enough for me to even go to the job. And it really took a lot of the fun and enjoyment out of everything that I was doing. You know, I ended up having to to change direction. And later on, once I had a more stable life, I was able to bring those things that I loved back into my life. But a lot of this time, a lot of the time, it means, it feels like you're settling if you take a job that you don't love, but you can find other things and find other ways to fit the things that you love back into your life. Yeah, I love what you were saying. Like it was once you had built up that financial foundation, like it afforded you the freedom to bring those elements back into your life on your own terms, you know, as opposed to like, as a starving artist, all I ever did was like basically go into audition rooms and beg for permission for to be like put in a play, like please Mm -hmm. ask me 
Plus, this is what I have at stake, my salary, my health insurance, my 401k contributions. Instead, now I make enough money that like, if I want to go perform, like, for example, earlier this year, I went to Egypt to do a show and it, it didn't pay a lot of money. But I was like, I'm going to go to Egypt, right? Mm -hmm. I get to do it on my terms and I'm not relying on first anyone like to give me permission to earn money because I'm already earning on with my own business. And second, like, it's okay if it doesn't pay me as much as I like need to sustain my lifestyle because I already have all of that security working for me. So I can go perform, love it and go have a blast just like soaking it all in. And it's just so much more gratifying to approach it in that way when you're not relying on this one thing to not only feed you financially, but to feed you personally, relationship-wise and everything. That's a lot of pressure to put on one thing. And that's why I always come back to the idea of building that full lifestyle. But it's also a lot of work. I mean, not only do you have to work hard to pursue the opportunities, the acting opportunities, whatever creative endeavors, whatever it is that you love doing, but to, to build a business and to build this financial stability, that that seems that that's going to be a lot of hard work. This isn't something where you can just uh, you know follow your dreams, you know do what you love, and the money will follow. This is this is forcing it to happen. This is you know spending every minute you can, uh, really focusing on what you need to to make this lifestyle happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think part of the the problem is that we romanticize a lot of this passionate pursuit. And the fact is like money always is going to matter. Like there's always a baseline cost of living that you're going to need to sustain. And if you're falling short of that baseline and either knowing it or not knowing it because you're so wrapped up in you know, the passion, you're, you're going to be stressed and you're not going to have like that freedom to really create in a way that's effective and meaningful and, and makes you happy. So I think that was the realization I had after about like five or six years of being a full-time actor was that like, this is not a winning game. Like I need to have a very concrete foundation in place financially before I have the luxury to think about these other things. And so what I did is I got like really grounded in my numbers. Like I knew exactly what my cost of living was and then I knew exactly how much I had to make each month to meet that cost of living at a minimum. And then, and only then could I afford to say, okay, can I do this extra? Can I do that extra? Can I reinvest and take classes? Can I uh, reinvest in my own pleasure and my own relationships? It's, I think you have to have that benchmark in your head financially. Otherwise you're just flying blind and constantly under the stress of, oh, I'm crossing my fingers and I hope it all works out. Do you still have goals as an actor? Are you still looking to to build that portion of your life in a way outside of your business? Or do you just pull everything together and really get your creative, creative satisfaction from the way you put yourself as an actor into your business? Yeah, so I would say it's definitely the latter of what you were talking about. Like I found that I've had, I've discovered this really wonderful combination of like taking my acting skill set and pairing it with like something people need, which is the, the big part about pursuing your passion that that really uh, is important to remember if you're trying to make it profitable, because like people don't pay you to be passionate, they pay you to fulfill a need. 
right? So like I was like storytelling and all this stuff, but like that only made me feel good. But now like I still tell stories and it makes me feel good, but like I'm telling stories in service of other people to help them be better at money, right? And because I'm fulfilling a need and adding value, even though I'm still employing that basic skill set of being an actor to, to tell it on the news or to tell it on a stage in a speaking environment or to tell it on my blog, I get paid well. And so it's like finding this hybrid of what you love plus meeting the demands of the market. And that's where I think you can make money while maybe doing something you love or like drawing on a skill set of the things you love. You really have to consider not what's in it for me. People don't care what's in it for you. They don't pay you, again, to be passionate. They're paying you because you're doing something for them. So you got to kind of like figure out where those intersections are of what you love to do and what people need. Yeah, that reminds me of the uh, there's a Venn, the Venn diagram that I've seen often. Uh, it's it's uh, three sets, and then the intersection in the middle of the three sets are, um, you know, what you love doing, uh, what you are good at doing, and what people will pay you for. And if you can find yeah. something that goes right in the middle there, then, you know, that that's your wheelhouse. That's That's what you can really sink your teeth into and make a career out of and, you know, along with all the effort that goes behind it. Yeah, I think that's a, a winning combination. And I, I, I like that you distinguish between what people need and what people will pay you for, because those things aren't necessarily always the same either. So important to consider what people will pay you for. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, a, a, a lot of business owners that I talk to say that, you know, especially the most creative ones when we're talking we're talking a little bit about creativity here uh, they say well i didn't know that the world needed this and the world didn't know that it needed it until i was able to present them with this you know idea that perhaps nobody ever thought of before yeah i think that's so true and what i'm finding is really interesting is that like it's not even necessarily bringing a new idea so much as it's bringing a new form or bringing it to a new audience. So I still consider myself a performer and a storyteller. It's just that like now I'm not doing it within the confines of like a script and a stage. I'm doing it with like lessons I've learned throughout my life to illustrate like a money story. And I'm doing it like in a market where my clients are fortune 500 companies, like never in my wildest dreams did I think like I would be talking to like a, the head of a big bank about a project or that my acting skill set would be relevant. But it is like you just but in order to discover that I first had to kind of like break out of the confines of this one singular format that I had like had always thought of as being what I do. Like I had to get out of this idea that I could only operate on a stage and with a script and like through the permission of a director and a casting director, I had to go out and like explore new ways of manifesting this and explore new audiences because they're out there. And like, I think, I think sometimes it's like the format that gets people tripped up and like keeps them from recognizing opportunities that are out there but, you know, they never thought to explore. I'm going to go off on a tangent a little bit because I like what you're saying about the skill set that you have as an actor. I think being an actor and uh, knowing how to perform in that way helps you 
in all types of situations in life, business especially. I think I think everything that we do is in some ways, when we do it for the public, is in some ways an act and we have to perform and we have to be on. The skills that you learn as an actor really tend to play into that and, and help you succeed. Do you think so? Oh, absolutely, 100%. Like, from improvisation, being able to think on your feet, being able to be creative, being able to just simple things like maintaining eye contact and communicating clearly, like, that is confidence 101. And that's, like, one of the big things that a lot of people are missing, especially in an era of technology, especially as we move further and further away from having regular face-to-face conversations. If you have a training in being present and connecting with people and telling stories with your voice and your body, like you can take that basically anywhere because, you know, confidence is just as good as competence almost, at least at the beginning. Right. So like you can, you can fake it till you make it as I have done. And (laughs) it, it just gets you so far. And at the end of the day, like it enables you to meet people and relate to people and, and it's those relationships that take you to the next level of whatever new pursuits you're trying to, you know, explore. So one of the reasons that you have a passion, I think, and why I have passions is that as we were growing up, we were able and we had the ability and the flexibility to explore yeah. probably different things. Uh, I don't I don't know too much about you, but I know that I had the opportunity to go out and, and, and do things outside of school, extracurricular, um, sports, photography, music, acting like you. You know, I was able to figure out exactly what those things are that really stimulated me and interested me and uh, things that would become passions. But not everybody has that opportunity. No. No, no they don't. But as children, I don't think everybody has the same opportunity, obviously. Not, I don't think. I know. I know not everyone has the same opportunity, but I would say like, as we grow up and we're able to, you know, choose how to spend our time as adults, those opportunities are more available to us. And now they're more accessible and more low cost. And so like, it's up to us to keep exploring once we finish school, like we don't arrive out of college or out of high school fully formed. And I think there's this big mistake that you're supposed to know what you want to do and know what you're passionate about. And part of the you know pursue your passion narrative kind of dismisses all those people who maybe don't know. But I think it's important to understand that like, it's okay if you don't know today, but that doesn't mean that you'll never know. And it might take some work to go out and find it. Like I think of my passion as like going out and falling in love. You know, like I don't know who I'm gonna fall in love with. I just go on a lot of different dates with a lot of different people, right? And then like maybe like I'll explore some and we'll go on a second date or a third date, right? And like it takes work and there's heartbreak and things don't go like you want them to and you go through Tinder, but like you go through (laughs) the process, right? And eventually you unearth something and you fall in love. And passion is much the same way. It takes work. You have to dig, you have to look, and you have to explore different things until you find that thing that resonates for you. I actually really like that. To kind of jump in here real quick. At 30, you know, 
six <laughs> last year. Like this year, instead of making actual New Year's resolutions for this year, 2016, I decided to make it a year of exploration and figure out what do I want to do? What makes my life fabulous? And we think, oh, well, you have to have it all figured out by the time you graduate from college, like you were talking about. But a lot of us are reinventing ourselves over and over and over again. And it's been a really fun year for me. It's been challenging because I've had issues but it's been a really fun year as well to to try new things and, and try different things out and say okay does this work what doesn't work and then at the end of the year you can kind of uh, reflect back and, and discard what's not working for you the other thing i like about what you're saying miranda is that like passions can also evolve so just because i was passionate about something when i was 20 doesn't mean i have to be passionate about it today and and like it seems like once we reach adulthood, we stop giving ourselves permission to have that evolution. And I think this comes back to this idea of what we were talking about before about avoiding failure more than pursuing passion. But it seems ridiculous when you think about it as if you were five. Like when I was five, I was like passionate about becoming a princess. I don't feel that way anymore. Right. And like, it's totally okay. Nobody expects me to feel that way anymore. But like I was five only 25 years ago. So like what I'm supposed to have the same passion at 20 and then 45. Like, no, we're, we should evolve. We should evolve over time. We should let go of things that don't make us happy or passionate anymore. And we should go explore new things. And that's why I love that. This is like an ongoing pursuit. And I love your idea of the year of exploration to kind of like reinvigorate that pursuit know every so often and find out what's speaking to you today at this point in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. Cause the thing the, the person I am today is completely different than the person I, the person I was at 25 and that was only right. like 12 years ago. Yeah. One thing I always have this caveat, right. And it's, it's, it, it cause we, we talk about just go out there and try different things and, and see what you can do. But there are a lot of people out there who are working multiple jobs. They're they're working 18 hours a day, um, taking care of two, three kids. Who knows how many? Um, obviously, they don't have a lot of room in in their head, in their life, in their time to to pursue all these things. And how how hard it is? How hard is it for someone who is perhaps not upper middle class like they're you know, like like we are today to kind of make time for for pursuing things that don't immediately help their family. I think the, the idea of pursuit of passion is absolutely a luxury. You know, it's like we talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like you have to first meet these like absolute bare bones essentials, right? And then you get like graduate onto social connections and then you like graduate. And the last thing at the top of that pyramid is self-actualization. And I think that's where you're finding the pursuit of passion. That said, I think the best way to get to that top point is to like really focus on you on getting your financial house in order, right? Because yeah. once you know you can sustain this bottom chunk of the pyramid, fine. Like it, it might take some work to get there, but once you build that, then you have this kind of freedom and flexibility to say, okay, I can afford to, you know, hire the babysitter for two hours and go spend two hours taking a class once a week, you know? So it's, it's realizing what needs to happen first. So you have a little bit of flexibility 
and then saying, okay, now that I have some flexibility, what can I reasonably afford to do uh, while still taking into consideration the needs of everybody else in my family and not just myself? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. really interesting. Uh, you know, I out of college, I was focusing on the top of that pyramid. I thought, well, that's that's what we've been talking about this whole time. We've been talking about this throughout high school and college, all about you know realizing who you are, self actualization, and we're not always. It's not always clear that we have to build up to that over the long term. We just want that right away because we're told how good it is and this is what you deserve and everybody should be at this point uh, as soon as possible and we just you know i i totally didn't realize that there were those bottom rungs even though i had psych 101 in college uh, i thought oh yeah that's that's you know that's something that's a theory that's that's great for other people i can i can hit that mark no you have to build everything up yeah and i think part of it too is uh, like Stephanie said, you do need to build that foundation and you do need to realize that you know, there's a time and a place for things. And this is going to be real and it might be a little sad and it might be kind of a Debbie Downer moment for you here. But I mean, there was a period of time where I had a young son. Uh, I had, I was the primary breadwinner for my family and yeah, I didn't, I didn't get to run out and pursue my passion all the time. I had to like, and, and even today, right? I just sort of snuck on here late and why did I have to sneak on here late? Because my son is sick. <laughs> and so there are things that you sometimes have to take care of before you can go pursue these passions. When you are in that position, one of the things that I did do was take a little bit of time out each day for me, whether it was to read for 15 minutes or take kind of a longer shower. Uh, it's the joke that moms have, right? The, the mom joke is, you know, I'm going to go hide in the bathroom for some me time. Yeah, it's real. It's a real thing. And, you know, take a, take a little bit longer shower or, or, or sometimes it's like uh, my then husband would just like give me a foot massage. We'd sit down and watch TV together and give each other foot massages. And so it's not like pursuing a grand passion. It's not amazing self-actualization every day, but it's, I mean, you have to, sorry to kind of bring it down a little, but sometimes you have to be realistic and say, okay, uh, where am I for reals right here in my life right now? Where am I for reals? And let's, figure out where I get from here to there and what steps do I need to take to kind of move in that direction. Because uh, one thing that you said earlier, Stephanie, was it's like evolution. You talked about evolving in the process. Well, part of this is a process to get to that point where you can pursue your passion. You start here and you move that way a little bit every day uh, rather than trying to, as Harlan was saying, like just jump to the top of the pyramid all at once. Yeah, I, I kind of like what you're saying here because it comes back to this idea of what we were speaking about before with building the lifestyle you love and not just doing what you love because just doing what you love can can sound a little bit elitist. And <laughs> it's totally that's, elitist. That's, that's a tall order, right? But building a lifestyle that you love, at least in, in small chunks of time, whether it is the foot massage or reading or the shower, is something that is a little bit more tangible and it isn't so it's not so much pressure on one thing. Like if you hate your job, you don't have to hate your whole life, right? Like a lifestyle you love is something that you can build in smaller chunks and in pieces um, and be proud of. And I think, and then building your way up to the top of that pyramid, because I think, you know, like what was being said before about like starting from the top is like, kind of what I did because I had that luxury and then I lost that luxury because I started at the top. 
I, I was in the place where like I'm right out of college and like, I didn't have all this huge pile of student loan debt and I had a little bit of savings because I had had a one job that I did love for like six months. But once that like all that faded away, I had this like drop down to the bottom of the pyramid and it was a very, very sobering reality to be like, oh my gosh, this matters. Like the money matters. The basic affording your lifestyle needs matters as, and is important and is as much a part of the process as exploring the things that you maybe want to do, um, you know, when you have time and money. So I think it's really important that everybody recognize that the bottom of the pyramid supports the top and not the other way around. You know, one, one thing that I, I like to think about as well is, you know, finding finding a passion outside of your job, if your job is not particularly a thing that you thought you'd always be doing, is one thing, but you can also learn to love what you're doing in your job as well. I mean, uh, we, we are kind of in this world where we're trained to hate our jobs and everyone's always looking for a way out. But if you can, if you can find ways to be happy in the job that you do have, and find little things about it that you enjoy doing, and maybe you'll even find something that's that sparks some kind of passion inside of you. Then, then you'll be happier, and then as you're happier, you'll do better at it, and then you can discover this whole other passion that you didn't even know about. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's also you know true in your job and in everything. It's like this practice of recognizing what there is to be grateful for, recognizing what you do have, and then building more of that into your life slowly, step by step as you're able. Yeah, it's not this like amazing, magical thing that happens where you just like, wave your hand and hurrah. Yeah, and you really do. I, you, I like what you mentioned before about how it takes work and it takes effort. You know, we seem to have this idea that you could just jump right in there, but you do have to build it. And sometimes the reality of life is that you're in a lot of debt and you have a young family and you just kind of need to step back and say, okay, what's one small thing I can do today that I enjoy doing that doesn't cost a lot of money that I could do for 15 minutes to make, to make myself feel good while I work on getting rid of this debt while my kids, you know, while I work on taking care of my kids. And I think that's an important thing to remember. So Stephanie, do you have any tips for finding, uh, t taking your passion and making it marketable? You know, I know how it's worked for you for, you know, discovering this passion for telling your story, relating it to money and helping people in that aspect. But how, how do people really find that marketable aspect of their passion? So I think what we were talking about before with the Venn, Venn diagram of, you know, what do you love? What are you good at? another mm -hmm. important overlap and then finding where what will people pay for is really really where this exercise all lies like this is how you find the thing if you're trying to isolate a couple of skills like within what you love that are really going to take you to the next level i recommend people just start listing everything that they know everything that they've experienced and like anything that really just anyone has ever asked them about like what are you a center for because there are so many things that we take for granted that we know and do naturally 
And so we don't think of those things as marketable skills. Like we were talking before about like acting being this wonderfully marketable skill set uh, you can take to any industry. But most actors don't think of their skill set that way because it's what they do naturally for other means. Right. So you have to kind of go back and say, well, what are the actual skills that I'm using here to tell this story on stage and list them all out and then say, wait a minute, this skill of improvising overlaps with, you know, somebody's need to create creative marketing for, you know, sleepies. I don't know. Like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's about like going that granular and then like exploring all the ways that it can overlap with those market demands and those market needs and like really finding again what it is that people will pay you for because they're just not going to pay you to be passionate that's just a, <laughs> that's not an outcome right so how can that skill set then turn into an outcome that people will pay you for that's fantastic that's 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 a great thought can you tell us a little bit about the cash confidence challenge? Yes. Okay. So this isn't so much about pursuing your passion, but this is about like building that, you know, financial foundation so that you can then go out and mm -hmm. explore as we were talking about the things that excite you and maybe you will find some things to be uh, passionate and pursue. Uh, so the cash confidence challenge I created because I'm always coming up against you know, people who are not taking that first step of saying, you know, I'm going to engage with my money, I'm going to make a change, I'm going to set goals, I'm going to start a budget. And that's what I think is not an issue of competence. I think it's an issue of confidence. And specifically among women who tend to be less confident than men, I'm not just generalizing these are statistics. And unfortunately, the outcome of lack of confidence for women isn't bad choices, it's no choices. And that means we're not engaging in our finances and we're not really building that foundation that we need to have the freedom to build these lifestyles that we want. And so the Cash Confidence Challenge is seven days of just building that confidence to take that action, to define what you want and exactly step-by-step step what you need to do to get it so that you can build it and then like go after the dream all the way. How can people sign up for it? So yes, that is important. <laughs> so at stephanieoconnell.com, you can find it's actually, let me just make sure I have the right web address. Okay, stephanieoconnell.com slash you dash r dash your dash own dash money dash plan. That is a mouthful. Okay, so it's like stephanieoconnell.com Slash you are your own money plan with a lot of dashes in between. <laughs> All right. Well, well, we'll definitely have a link to it. So That'll make it a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, we'll show that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, we're adulting.tv, so be sure to visit our website and find out about our next live event coming very soon. And subscribe at adulting.tv slash iTunes for the podcast. And if you have any questions or if you have any topic ideas that you'd like to uh, hear about, then go to adulting.tv slash ask and just let us know. So thank you, Stephanie, uh, so much for being here today. This was uh, really cool. I really love talking about passion and all this kind of stuff. I love it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Like I said, adult, adulting.tv, and uh, we will see you soon. Thank you for listening to Adulting. 
find resources for this episode or download other episodes at adulting.tv.